out of sync today. Our, our worship leader, Pastor Aaron, uh, is, is off in Alaska. Shame on him, taking vacation and going off to Alaska and leaving us. And so we're a little bit, we're a little, feel a little disjointed because he keeps the flow going. And uh, normally, what would have happened right there? He would have prayed. Everybody knows. So I was looking, going, y'all got somebody lined up to pray? <laughs> nope, but I do. I do. I'm going to pass Brother, Brother Raymond. So we've had Elder, Elder John uh, open our service in prayer. And I'm going to ask Raymond if he'd pray now for this time of our service. Lord, as we uh, come before you, Lord, we spend... Amen. Now you may be seated. You may be seated. Hey, we're way ahead of schedule, doing things a little different this morning, shaking things up a little bit. I'm going to ask you if you would turn to Matthew chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there in your Bible. We're going to get to that here in just a little bit. But uh, we've been preaching, I've been preaching through, teaching through a series the last few weeks, and I don't know exactly how far we're going to go. But the, the idea was this. Look, we, we ask God why questions all the time. When things don't go the way we want them to go, we ask why. We get in this self-pity party or we thank God. God's let us down or he's abandoned us, but he hasn't done things the way I want him to do things. So we start asking the question, why? Which prompted this series on when God asked us why. And it's interesting as you start looking at that, God asks us a lot, of, a lot of times, a lot of things in Scripture, He asks us why, and that's what we're, we're going to look at. I mean, it started out a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, when the disciples were in the boat and the storm comes up and Jesus is asleep in the back, and, and they come to the Lord and said, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? You know, they were scared. And He, and he gets up and He calms the storm, and He says, why are you so fearful? And we preached about that. We talked about fear. We learned about fear how, and overcoming fear. But if you dig a little deeper there, you see they weren't just fearful. They were fearful of death. So last week, we looked at the fear of death. Last couple of weeks, actually, looked at the fear of death. Why are you so fearful of death? And we learned that as a believer, we shouldn't be fearful of death. We, we should actually look forward to it. We should be looking to it with, with great anticipation. You know, it is the one thing. Death is the only thing that's holding us back as a believer from being in the very presence of God. So it's nothing to be, you know, you, we, we make jokes about, oh, you're going to threaten me with death. You're going to threaten me with heaven, you know. No, you can't threaten me with heaven. I want heaven. You, you're not going to scare me with that. So, so we've looked at that. But one of the things we've been, I've been trying to tell us is, you know, we have to see things from God's perspective, okay? We've got to see it from his point of view. And too often we see things from our point of view. We don't get, in fact, we don't even get outside of ourselves to see it from our spouse's point of view or from our kid's point of view or a co-worker's point of view. We just see it from our point of view and it creates a lot of problems. Now you multiply that to seeing things, God things, through our perspective, we see it the wrong way. So to give you a little quick example, I want you to look at this picture, okay? And, and uh, all right. Do y'all see that man running into the woods? How many of you see the man running into the woods? 
How many of you see that? Raise your hand. All right. Most of you see the man running into the woods. Let, let's, let's zoom in on that just a little bit. Can anybody tell what that is? It's actually a dog. It's actually a dog running out of the woods. That's a good one, isn't it? I mean, I still, and I know what it is. I still look at that one. It looks just like some guy's on the run with a backpack on. Might be a bear head backpack, but it's a backpack. He's running into the woods, and I got to looking at it more and go, no, wow, that's crazy. So the dog's running out. So it's perspective. It's having the proper perspective. So Matthew chapter 6, as we get here to Matthew chapter 6, verse 28, we're going to launch off of this verse right here. And this is, this is how the King James uh, translates this. It says, why take ye thought for raiment? Now, I did that for one reason. Because everybody in here go, what does that sentence mean? What is he saying right there? All right, so why take ye thought for raiment? Well, raiment is just a fancy old English word for clothing, for clothes. So he says, why take ye thought for clothing? He goes on to say, why take ye thought for your life? So what is this, why take ye thought? What is he saying there? Should we not even think about it? Well, that's kind of what he's saying. You shouldn't even think about it. You shouldn't give thought to these things. So the most modern translations will translate that there about why worry? So why are you worried about clothes? Why are you worried about your life? Now, this question doesn't conflict with the scriptures that tell us that that we must, from the sweat of our face, eat bread. Amen? Scripture tells us that. And it tells us that the scriptures command us to provide for our families. Amen. So we got to work. We got to provide. We got to get out and make these things and, and get these things. We're told that. Or that if a man won't work, he ought not eat. That's, that's scripture. So this does not conflict with that at all. See, this is the challenge. What he's doing here, it's a challenge to our human sinful nature to worry. We're prone to worry. We're prone to be overly concerned. Not just that I need to go out and make a living. It's that, you know, am I going to keep my job? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to get a raise? What am I going to do? How am I going to be able to buy that? Can I pay the bills this month? I don't know if I can pay the bills. You know, we get all torqued and all caught up in this worry. But listen what the Lord says as we're going to read through these passages. We're going to concentrate on 19 through 34, but we're going to look at some of that early in, in, in kind of an introduction here. But he says this, the Lord says in verse 25, he says, therefore I say to you, do not worry. That was pretty clear. He says in verse 27, he says, which of you by worrying? Okay, which of you, we'll get into that. Verse 28, so why do you worry? Verse 31, he says, therefore do not worry. Verse 34, again, therefore do not worry. So Jesus tells us, he tells us how to do this. He tells us that that we should not worry about these things and we'll look at these things. But Jesus tells us if we back up a little bit here in Matthew chapter 6, he tells us how we should pray. Verse 11 says, give us this day. The Lord says, this is how you should pray. And he says, give us this day our monthly supply of of bread. What? Uh, Daily. Daily, correct. He didn't say pray for your monthly supply. He didn't say pray for your weekly supply. He didn't even say pray for tomorrow's bread. He said pray for your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, here's where the problem comes in, because we're introducing this, is we love stuff. In America, we love stuff. We love stuff. We want to have stuff. And, and, and then we worry about our stuff. And in extreme cases, if you've seen hoarding, those hoarding shows on TV, man, that, that, that just makes me, uh, I get, I get, I, it messes with me. 
But that's what happens when we go to these extreme cases of, of, of wanting our stuff and worrying about our stuff. It turns into hoarding. You know, we build houses and then we fill them with our stuff. And then we build these extra buildings around our house. We put a barn out back, a storage building out back, so that we can store the abundance of our stuff. And we like to have bonus rooms and attics and basements so that we can store our stuff. And then, and then when that's not enough, we rent space to store other stuff. And then here's the thing about rental space. You ever been, you know, you put stuff in there and I'm convinced that it marries in there and it breeds and it, and it has babies and you put stuff in there and you go back again later and there's more stuff in there and you, how did that stuff get in there? So we get caught up with this stuff and then we get, we get too much stuff. And so when we get too much stuff, which I don't know where that is for the most, for most Americans is when it's too much. But at some point, sometimes we get too much stuff and we want to have a yard sale to sell our stuff. And, and that's so we can go buy more stuff, okay? So we got to sell our stuff. Now, listen, I've been, I ask a, I, I'm Captain Obvious, all right? So, I, and sometimes I can ask really dumb questions. Um, I asked somebody, I said, someone's, can I ask a dumb question? And they said, no one does it better. Um, <laughs> but I was in Costa Rica, and we're riding around, and I asked somebody there, one of the Costa Ricans, I said, so do, do they ever have yard sales here in, in Costa Rica? I thought it was a fair question, but when he gave me the answer, it's super obvious. He says, yard sale? What's a yard sale? I said, you know, where you sell your extra stuff. Where, and he said, we don't have extra stuff. He said, everything we have, we need. And everything we have, if we don't need it, we find another place to use it. So I've been to Honduras. I've been to Jamaica. I've been to Costa Rica. I've been to uh, Belarus. I've been to Tajikistan. And none of those places have yard sales. Now, I'm sure there's countries that maybe do yard sales. Canada may do yard sales. I don't know. But most places in the world don't do yard sales because most places don't have stuff the way we have stuff. Now, if you've ever watched VeggieTales, anybody ever watch VeggieTales? On VeggieTales, they had a stuff mart. They had a stuff mart. And that's where you went and bought your stuff. You buy more stuff. And, uh, and then, then, you know, all the while you go buy more stuff, all the while you're worrying about stuff. You're worrying about the stuff I have. You're worrying about the stuff I want. You're worried about the stuff I need. All right, you with me? That's where we're at. We worry about stuff and things. And, and, and you know, is God going to give me what, what I want? And those kind of things. If we go back to verse 19, or we begin here in verse 19, the Lord tells us this. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in. Did I just do the same verse twice? Okay. Thieves do not break in and steal. All right. Don't lay it up here. Don't lay these treasures up here. Lay them up in heaven. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven and where moth doesn't, moth doesn't eat it and rust doesn't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal, because that's what we're worried about. We're worried about our stuff. We got our stuff here on earth, and we're worried about the moths eating our nice jacket. We're worried about rust on, our, on, on something that we have, you know, our nice car or our motorcycle or whatever it is. And we're worried about thieves breaking in. We got to have the latest security system with the cameras and all that, because somebody's going, and they will. They'll break in and steal, because they want your stuff more than you want your stuff. But verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Folks, it's where you put your treasure. What is it that you value most? What is it you value in this life? Is it stuff or is it spiritual things? Because where your treasure is, where the thing you value most is, that's where your heart's going to be. And if you value the things of God, then then your treasure is in heaven and that's where your heart's going to be. You treasure the things of this world, your heart is here on this world, you're focused on the things of this world. And then he says in verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I'm sure we have different translations here, and, and some are going to probably say mammon there. They're going to, it doesn't say mammon. You may say money. Anybody have money? Anybody have wealth? Okay. Anybody have mammon? Okay. That's a great translation if it says mammon. Here's why I like those words. Make you look, make you dig a little bit, do some research on what does that mean. You read something, you go, I don't know what that means. That's a, that's a good jump off point to look it up. Well, what that word does mean, you can't serve God and mammon. It does mean, some tra- it means money, it means wealth, but it was also a God of wealth. Now, we don't see anywhere in scripture, we can't find where the Jews actually served and followed this God of wealth, but there was a God, mammon, that was the God of wealth. And so it really works well that when you think about this, you can only serve God or you're going to serve wealth, which becomes a God. It's one or the other. You've got a God in your life and it's either God or you're serving another God. You either serve God and he's first, he's primary in your life, or you've, you've created an idol where you're serving something else. You've made it God in your life. And for many of us, it, it's that stuff. It's wealth. It's money. It's, the, it's me to have. So when the Lord says here, give no thought, what, what he exactly is doing is, is that he's exhorting us in these packages, uh, these passages not to worry. And he's, when he says, why take ye thought? He, he's saying, why worry? Why are you worried about these things? But here's what's interesting with that language. Is, is I find it interesting, he says, take ye thought. Why take ye thought? That means not to worry. But I also think what he's doing here is he's challenging us, actually, as you're going to see in the next few verses, to give much thought. He's going to tell you to give much thought to these things, these considerations, but not to worry about these things and these considerations. So in our passage today, Jesus gives us six points to ponder or to consider or to give thought to about, when, about considering these things when it, in relation to worry. Why do we worry? Don't worry. He's going to tell us these things. So let's look at these six points. And we're going to move through. Y'all, keep, y'all listen fast because I'm going to talk fast. Number one, Life is more than food. That's what he says in verse 25. Life is more than food. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Well, Lord, that seems ridiculous. I got to worry about my life. I got to look out for me. I got to make sure everything's taken care of. But that Lord says not to worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So he's saying, don't worry about your food. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about water. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about these things. And he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Isn't life more than about what you eat? It's kind of a simple question, kind of a rhetorical type of question. He's not really looking for an answer there because who's going to argue with the Lord on this? He says, isn't the body more than just what you put on, more than just your clothing? Listen, folks, he created us. He gave us life in these bodies and breath in our lungs. Amen? Amen. When you woke up this morning, you, you, you know, I, I can't, I ain't going to say that I always do this, but I try to do this before I get up, before I move out of the bed. I, I want to pray. 
just a simple prayer and thank God for another day that, that I have opened my eyes, that he has held off the reaper, and I have made it through the night alive. Death has not come and knocked on my door. I got another day where I woke up, and he's given me the gift of another day. He's given me sight in my eyes. He's given me breath in my lungs. I can smell. I can hear. I can taste. I can feel. Uh, these are blessings. And we should thank God for this. This is life that he's given us. Now, could he, would he, who gave us the great gift of life, and listen, if you're born again, the greatest gift of eternal life, would he deny us our basic needs of life? He would not. That's the right answer. He would not because he cares. He, he loves us. Now, I want to show you some things that, that kind of exemplify how he cares for us. I was at my chiropractor back probably a couple months ago, and and. My chiropractor is a little different. He's a little different. And I can't quite figure. We've not had enough conversation yet to figure out where he is in his faith journey. But he'll talk about God. But he says, he, he said a very interesting thing to me. He says, hey, you want to see something? Proof there's God, that, that God exists? I said, you're going to show me proof that God exists? Okay, let me, let me hit me with your best shot. He says, well, I want to show you this. So he shows me this. So let's put this slide up. Put this slide up. So here's, here's two molecules, okay, one, the one on the left, yes, the one on the left, I forget, y'all see the same thing I see, plant chlorophyll, okay, so that chlorophyll that's in a plant, you see the molecular makeup of that plant, okay, of chlorophyll in the plant. Now, the only thing that's different between these two molecules is the, 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 the thing right there in the center. In, in magnesium, magnesium is at the center of that molecule, that, that's the chlorophyll. And the chlorophyll takes the energy from the sun. It absorbs the sunlight and that energy, and it turns that into energy in the cell and into sugars. It converts it to those things. So, so you understand, without that, without that right there, chlorophyll in plants, we don't have life on earth. Because the plant's not going to have life. And if the plant doesn't have life, we're not going to have life. Now, we get, our, we get a lot of energy from plants. I mean, we get that, it's going to turn around and make oxygen from the CO2. It turns it into oxygen. So we breathe out the bad stuff. They breathe in the bad stuff. They breathe out the good stuff. We breathe in the good stuff. So, so that's an absolute necessity for life. But also, if you look over there, the, the, the human blood hemoglobin, okay, it's this basically, I mean, it's almost identical. That actually shows it identical. I've, I've seen others that show it super, super close. I mean, you have to really, really look to see if there's a difference. The difference is in the center is iron. That gives it the red color where magnesium has, is in the center of the other. It gives it the green color. It's, the, it's like it's the same molecule. And, if you, and, the, and the hemoglobin, so what does it do? It takes blood. It absorbs blood in your lungs. And it takes it throughout the body. It feeds your body the oxygen that it needs. It takes the, the, the bad stuff, the CO2, brings it back to the lungs so we can ex ex exhale it. So you have to have those things. There are two things that are so identical. Man, it's amazing that that evolved that way. Isn't that just, what a coincidence. No, it's the beauty of God's care for us. And he, and he, I mean, I think, you, you ever heard them called Easter eggs, little things? Have y'all seen the Easter egg on our slide? You got to look. There's an Easter egg on our slide. And I'll, I'll see if it's on there today. But there's an Easter egg. up. Y'all know what Easter eggs are, right? It's something you're, you, you're always looking for. You find a little something that you go, wow. This, this is an Easter egg. I think the Lord, before created, he goes, I'm going to give them something here. Let's see how long it takes them to figure this out. This is necessary for life. You think he doesn't care about what we eat or what we drink or what we're going to put on when he took care of that? 
from creation. Here's another thing, and I've shared this with you before, about a thing called laminin. And laminin is a protein molecule, and, it, and its responsibility basically is it holds our body together. Its job is it's glue. It's adhesion. Without it, we'd just be kind of mush, okay? Because our bodies would not adhere together, and that's what it does. Now, Colossians 1.17, the second part of that verse says, In him, speaking of Jesus, in him, all things consist. And that word consist means, guess what? Hold together. He holds all things together. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, he created it and he holds it together. Everything today consists because of him. And you find this laminin molecule that, was, that God designed and he put in our bodies to hold us together. And again, I think before he ever acted in creation, he goes, hey, let's see how long it takes him to figure this one out. So when you look at the laminin molecule under a microscope, that's what it looks like. Huh, what a coincidence. That looks like, that looks like, the cross. That looks like the cross of Christ. I think, I think the Lord put that there. I don't know. I'll find out one day. But I'm, I'm going to believe. You ain't going to convince me otherwise. I believe the Lord put that there because of what it does. And it's so important. If we didn't have that, we don't have life. So we see all these things that the Lord's taking care of. We're not even aware of, folks. And, but then we're going to worry about, you know, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? The Lord is providing for that because he cares and we see his care and everything all around us. So number one is, is that life is more than food. He says, think about this. Now, number two, he says, observe the birds. Verse 26, look at the birds in the air. And I'll just say this. These are normal birds. These aren't exotics that cost tens of thousands of dollars. If you look up the word, it's just, it's just winged flying birds. Okay, it's not anything. It's not it's not the expensive peacocks and all that stuff that everybody would buy. And of course, because they're so pretty and all this, that everybody would just take care of them and provide. These are just birds. These are the birds we see flying around when the flock's flying. There's thousands. You know, I don't see that the way I used to see that. Remember that? You remember go out and you'd see the flocks of birds and they'd turn, they'd disappear, and they'd turn another way and you'd see them. You know what I'm talking about? They're big, big, they're not a herd, a flock. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all got to help me because I do that and I go, they don't know what I'm talking about. I need some affirmation, okay? So these are just normal birds. He says, look at the birds there. Again, consider them. Think about them. I'm giving you an example. So he looks, the birds in the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So look, the providence of God feeds these birds, it feed, it, he feeds them without their, their labor. They don't do anything. They don't, they don't have to. Look, have you ever seen a bird with a workshop? Never seen a bird with a workshop, yet they're, they're fed without labor and worry. As far as I know, I don't, I don't think the birds have psychiatrists they go to because they're so stressed out with worry. They don't, I don't think they have that. There's no worry. I haven't bird come tell me, hey, I'm just I'm having a really rough day with you. They don't worry about those things. They just go out and do what they're supposed to do. Have you ever noticed a bird uh, plowing a field or building a, a worm garden? Now, if I'm a bird, that's what I'm going to do. If we're going to provide, if it's up to me to provide, you know, I'm going to build a worm garden, right? You stock it with a bunch of earthworms. You know, you put some cornmeal in there and get them boogers growing up fat. And man, every day you just go out and scratch a little bit and there you go. I don't see birds doing that. Birds don't plow. They don't, they don't build a worm box. They're not building a worm garden. They're incapable of sowing, reaping, and storing. And yet our Heavenly Father sustains them without any of these processes. Now, again, these are just regular birds, and, and our Heavenly Father feeds them. 
Their responsibility is to fly every day to find food that God prepares for them. That, I mean, that's what they do. They just get out. What is it? The early bird gets the worm. Or, or if you're the early worm, you get eaten by the bird. So it's, it just depends on which one you are, I guess. But their only responsibility is to go fly and to scratch or to peck or whatever it is they do. And God provides. He's put it out there for them. It's all there. They just have to go out and, and find it. And so, so you see, man, they eat the insects. They eat the, they, they woodpeckers dig into those trees and find insects within the trees. You got the birds out there getting the worms out of the ground. God provides the food for them. And then Jesus asks this, he says, are you not much more of, of much more value than they are? If he takes care of the birds, if he provides for them without their, their working and, and worrying, why are you so worried? Is he not going to take care of you? If God takes care of them, how much more will he take care of us? Amen? Now, number three, in verse 27, we see where worry is useless. It's absolutely useless. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Now, I want to explain a little bit of something here, because we read that today in our modern language, and we read this worrying about one cubit. A cubit is 18 inches. Basically, it was the length of, uh, from the top of your hand there to your elbow, which was generally about 18 inches, and that was one of the forms of measurement they had in those days. It was a rough measurement. And, and so we read this, can you add one cubit to his stature? Well, we read stature, and we catch that as height. If you go back and look at the original word, it could have been, meant height in, in your stature of your height, or it could have meant age. Now, we don't cross up those terms. We wouldn't say today, who can add three seconds to their height? Or who can add three feet to their age? But that, that wasn't this, that was only, that's a new thing in language because that would not have been the case back in those days. They could have actually used a physical measurement with a measurement of time, and it would not have been foreign to them. So, so I say all that to this. Most commentaries that I've read, they, they believe that what he's speaking of here is not actually height, because we, we find that pretty strange to go that the Lord would say, hey, hey, Raymond, you know, you're 6'4". You're 6'4". Six four. Six four. You know, if you worry about it, you really can you add 18 more inches to your height? And we'd go, well, that's strange. I mean, 18 inches? Who wants to be another 18 inches tall? Some of our little younger ones might be like, yeah, I'm tired of you looking at me. But, but most of us aren't going to want 18 inches. But, but it's, when you really look at the measurements, those measurements, that wasn't a huge measurement. It was one of the lesser of the measurements. And what the Lord really was saying there was, who, by worrying, can add even the smallest measurement to their age, to their life? So, so can we worry? Listen, can we worry? Um, if I worry, it doesn't matter either way. If I worry, I'm not going to add even... Even a, 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 a millimeter to my height. I am what I am. It ain't, it, no worry ain't going to change that. And worrying is not going to add even a second to our life. It's not. So when he asked this question, who by worrying can add even one cubit to his stature? Again, this is a rhetorical question and, and no one can. No one. We, we just can't do that. So here's the thing. Don't waste your energy and your time and your thoughts on things you can't do anything about. I, I, I use this example a lot of times. I mean, I see people get torqued about gas. When we were in Indiana, it got high. I think that's the time. Gene, weren't we in Indiana when it got about four a gallon? And, and I knew people who would drive across town to save 10 cents a gallon. You spent three bucks to go save 10 cents a gallon. And, man, people would just get torqued about it. You know what? I can't. I don't get mad about the weather. 
I don't get mad about gas because I can't do anything about either of them. I'm not going to stress that. I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to, what are we going to do, sit at home? I'm going to pay what I have to pay. I mean, it's just what it is. So don't waste time worrying about things you can't do anything about. If you can do something about it, then do something about it. Amen? Amen. That's what we need to do, but don't worry about it. Things that we can't change. I have always wanted to be six foot tall. Now, my dad was over six foot tall. My baby brother is over six foot tall. My older brother... I have two older half-brothers. Both of them were over six feet tall. And here I am, five foot, 11 and three-quarter inches. That's enough to just torque you a little bit. And when I'd go get, I'd go somewhere, I would, man, I'm extending my neck. Five, 11, three-quarter. Oh, man. So in my driver's license, it says five, 11, because they won't even put the three-quarter on there. So I'm 5'11", according to them, and I may actually be now because we kind of shrink through the years. But it, you know, wouldn't it be stupid for me to worry about that quarter inch, thinking that if I work, you know, and I think if I sit here and, and worry enough, I'll, I'll gain that quarter inch. I'll make six foot. It's stupid. It's not going to happen. Now, I'm about 20 pounds overweight. And people go, no, no. Yeah, well, I'm 40 pounds overweight. If you look at the guides they give you, they tell me I ought to be like 160. I'm like, I would, y'all would think I was dying. If I was 160, I mean, I would be, I, but listen, I, I'm 20 pounds, I'm about 20 pounds overweight. It'd be, it's stupid for me to worry about being 20 pounds overweight. I can't, I can't worry and change, but I can do something about that. And if I can do something about it, I ought to do something about it. Now my hair is thinning. I know none of y'all have noticed that. I know you haven't, but the person whose hair is thinning, they notice it. Okay. So I sit here and the camera's looking from the back. I see it. Then when I watch the service and I see the back of my, everywhere I sit, the back of my head is being, and, and it's thin right there, okay? It's, it's thin and it's like baby hair. I just hate it, but I really don't. Is, that, is worrying about that going to change it? No. In fact, it may work just the opposite. If I worry about it enough, more of it might fall out, right? So I don't, I don't worry, worry about it. So I, I can't do anything about it. So I don't need to worry about the things I can't do anything about. Worry can't add a single minute to our life, a single dollar to our bank account, or a single point to our GPA. Worry cannot, it, it won't impress your boss. It can't help your kids behave better. It can't strengthen your marriage. And, and it really can't help any of us. Worry is not going to help any of us in any way. In fact, you know this. Y'all probably heard this statistic. 95% of the things that we worry about never even come to pass. You know, if a situation's coming up and you got a meeting coming up at work, you know, and we start running through the scenarios, right? Oh, this is going to happen. Or maybe this is why they want to talk. About what, you know, they, and what, what it ultimately comes out is 95% of the things you run through your head never even come to pass. And I would guess the other 5% never even come to pass the way you thought they were going to come to pass. So why do we worry about these things when it just, it's useless? Worry is useless. Number four. Again, he tells us, think here. Think about these things. He says, consider the lilies. <clears throat> Verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Now, I've got a couple of pictures here. We'll look at the first. 
You just look at a, a lily. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful flower. And you, you look at flowers in general. I mean, there's, there's just so many different, and it's, it's interesting. We get flowers blooming here in Florida in the fall. Stuff blooms, and I'm like, wait, everything should be dying and falling off right now. And we got stuff that blooms in the fall. Oh, wait, we don't have fall. That's right. So uh, that's the one thing I miss. I miss fall. Um, we don't get a real fall. We get fall light. That's what we get. But uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, but these lilies, these flowers, they're so beautiful. And how long do they last? You know, I think about azaleas. Um, I love the masters. and never fails every year. They, they work it out so those flowers are all blooming. I'm sure they have them somewhere and they plant them things. They bring them out there and plant them right there the day before it starts. So that it's all on TV. You see these beautiful azaleas. But the, the blooms on the azaleas are only there for a few days. Crepe myrtles are huge in Georgia. And they'll bloom out and the tree is just, uh, well, the crepe myrtles are that way. They bloom out. But what's the, what's the, other, what's the ones that my mom had, Gene, in front of the house there? Bradford pears. Bradford, anybody familiar with those? So they bloom out all white or whatever. Beautiful. Two days, the flumes are on there and they're gone. Now, if God creates a bloom like that, something that's that beautiful, that beautiful, he closed those. Look, those lilies didn't do a thing. They didn't plow in the ground. They don't spin their, their clothing to dress themselves and make themselves look so good. God gave them that. And they didn't do anything for that. If God would do that for a lily that's here for just a few days and then it's gone, how much more is he going to take care of us? And he says, look at the next picture. You talk about the, the grass of the field. You know, wheat is beautiful. When that's growing up, you got a field of wheat and it's green and growing. The, one, of the, one of the other things I miss from the north, is, and it's not the eight months of winter, I promise you, is watching as they'll, they'll plow the fields then they plant and you watch as the corn begins to grow or the soybeans begin to grow. And then as that comes up and you watch over the season and the corn gets high and then it tops out, every stage of that is beautiful as you're looking at. But it's their clothing. It's what God's given them. He's dressed them up. I mean, that's beautiful. And then next, it's, and it's beautiful again, amber waves of grain. The amber waves of grain. And, 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 and so all of that, the way the Lord puts that together and he clothes them for something that we're going to harvest that. Part of it's going to be burned. Part of it is going to, you know, some of it may be thrown in the, in, in here it says in the oven. And the idea is some of this is thrown in the oven as fuel to cook. Some of it, you grind that wheat up, you make bread, you're going to put it in the oven and it's going to cook in there and it's for fuel for us for food. If the Lord clothes those things in that way, something that's here today and gone tomorrow, something that, that his, his love for us we know is infinitely beyond that, why would he not care for us? Amen? Amen. So do we trust God in this matter? Do we trust him? Do you trust that you are more important than all the rest of creation? Do we believe that? Do you trust that God can provide for you? Do you trust that God knows what's best for you? He is our creator, and for those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, He is our Father. Amen? So He loves us and He provides everything we need. James tells us in, in James 1.17 that every perfect gift, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of life. It comes from Him. It comes from the Lord. 
Every good gift comes from God. If it's food, if it's clothing, if it's money, if it's family, if it's safety, if it's peace, if it's love, if it's grace, if it's forgiveness, it all comes from God, our Heavenly Father. He provides our needs. Needs. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, child of God, you cost Christ too much for Him to forget you. He doesn't forget us. He doesn't neglect us. He provides. He meets our needs. Number five, he says, consider your witness. Verse 32, verse, first, uh, 31 and the first part of verse 32. says, therefore do not worry. Again, he tells us, just look, you've considered these things. Don't worry. Anytime you see a therefore, think of it this way. What's the therefore, therefore? It's to go back. He says, therefore. So everything he's just said. Talking about the birds, talking about the lilies. Look at these things. He says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For, all, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles. So that word would indicate those that are outside the family of God. That's the way we would read that today. So those that are outside the family of God. Those that are outside the family of God, those who don't have an understanding of God providing for them, um, that's them. They seek. We know the people here in Geneva, all around us, folks that don't know the Lord Jesus, this is their life. They are seeking. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to live? It's, it's pursuing that, and their life is consumed with those things. And to concern ourselves anxiously with these things is to live no different than the lost world around us. When we have that attitude and we worry about things and stuff, and, it, and, and, and am I going to have something to eat? Am I going to have something to drink? Look, we see that with, look, what was, I don't know how long ago it was. It seems like it was forever ago, and it seems like it was three weeks ago. But we had a real run on toilet paper. All because people were concerned about a need that they were, it wasn't going to be met. They weren't going to have it. Verse 32, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Look, folks, God already knows. He knows what we need. We don't have to worry about the needs. We don't have to chase after the needs because the Lord already knows the needs. And we have to have the faith and the trust that he's going to provide those needs. When we trust God, we do not worry. When we worry, we do not trust God. Worry says, I've got a problem and I don't think God can take care of, of me through it. Right. In this way, worry hinders our witness and our testimony. Titus 2.10 says that we need to make the teachings of Jesus attractive to people in every way. We should live our lives, that, that our faith and our teachings and, and, and that Jesus is attractive to those around us. You know, we don't do that when we worry. When we get so worried about things that consume us, we risk missing opportunities that God has placed before us to impact people with our faith. With our faith, not our worry. You're not going to impact a lost person with your worry. Yeah, man, you're no different than I am. I worry about that. I stress about that. I thought you had a God that was a God of peace and it was going to provide for you. We shouldn't worry. We should trust God. Think about it. What kind of faith does it reveal to someone when we are worried about every little detail of life? When we find ourselves worrying, we must ask ourselves, do I believe my God can handle this problem? 
That's where we have to be. If we truly have confidence in our God, our faith can be a powerful testimony to others. Number six, worry steals the future. It's not only useless, but it hinder, it, it, worry hinders us miserable. Amen? Amen. If you've been there, and, and we all have, you realize it, it makes us miserable. Verse 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, a couple of things I want to look at real quick here. Number one is this worry immobilizes us. So worry is like putting your car in neutral and then slamming on the gas pedal. It burns oil, it burns gas, and it's rough on the engine, but you ain't going nowhere. Nothing's getting done. It's bad all the way around, and nothing's being accomplished. Worry is like fog. Fog can be a scary and obscure thing. You know, sometimes you drive in, you get up in the morning. We've had fog here in the last, uh, this past week. We've had, we had some pretty good fog. Some of the mornings I went out and, you know, you're like, wow, man, it's really thick sitting there. And uh, it can be scary and it obscures your vision, right? Causes, can cause accidents because people aren't paying attention, drive too fast or whatever. But listen to this. In his book, The Essence of Success, Earl Nightingale wrote this. He said, according to the Bureau of Standards, a dense fog covering less uh, covering seven city blocks. Now, a dense fog covering seven city blocks to a depth of 100 feet is composed of something less than one glass of water. Now, I, wanna, I want you to look at that and think about that. So, would this be a hindrance to me being able to drive, being able to see? I mean, I can't even hardly, I can't even hardly make this obscure my vision. It can't, it's not going to obstruct me in any way, this glass of water. But if this is whatever this might be, and this could be anything, the, the, the picture here is this is something in my life, and I begin to worry. This glass of water here could equate to seven city blocks 100 feet deep in fog. And that's what happens when we worry. Something that really is nothing. Something that really would be nothing at all, wouldn't be a challenge to us at all, wouldn't bother us at all, and yet once we start worrying about it, it becomes this huge fog that just clouds up everything in our life. That's what worry does. It's useless, but then it immobilizes us. You get to that place where you're, you, there's just, you just can't see clearly to do anything because everything's clouded up now with this fog of worry. But worry also brings misery upon us. Doctors claim that worrying can affect both the mind and body in various ways, such as disrupted sleep, headaches, difficulty concentrating, nausea, muscle tension, exhaustion, irritability, elevated stress, difficulty making decisions. You know, you come to think about it, those worry symptoms could easily be confused with COVID symptoms. That sounds a lot alike. A lot of the same, which everything, every symptom's a COVID symptom today. Um, Anybody experienced any of those? None of them are good. But they're all, they're, we don't have to have any of those, not because of worry, but we do. It brings that. It's not uncommon to feel disorganized and forgetful when you're under a lot of stress. Gina and I have talked about that, where Gina will get stressed out about something and, and, and it's like, I can't remember stuff. Or her memory will be, be affected by that. When there's stress there, it affects our memory. Over the long term, stress may actually change your brain in ways that affect your memory. 
Statistics show that half of all the people in America's hospital beds are constant worriers. 43% of all adults suffer health effects due to worry and stress. 75 to 90% of all visits to primary care physicians are stress-related complaints or or disorders. Dr. W.C. Alvera of the Mayo Clinic says, 80% of the stomach disorders that come to us are not organic but functional. Most of our ills are caused by worry and fear. Dr. Charles Mayo once said, worry affects the circulation in the whole nervous system. He said, I've never known a man who died from overwork, but I have known many who have died from doubt. Worry has been linked to all the leading causes of death, including heart and lung disease, cancer, accidents, and suicide. Now you think, worry, how's worry going to cause accidents? Well, you're worrying about something. You're on a ladder. You're doing something. You're not paying attention because your mind is, is you're so confused with the fog of worry that you're not doing the proper things. Some, some people, I, I mean, I've done it, Be so con, have so much going on and drive through a red light. Those things happen. So there's a lady named Helen Hayes. Anybody familiar with that name? Old Hollywood people might would remember that. Hel- you remember that name? You remember Helen Hayes? Helen Hayes had about an 80-year career in Hollywood. She started like in 1905 or 1907, over 80 years. She, she had stuff into the 80s where she was actually in movies or TV shows. But she's this famous actress, and she and her husband had, had only one daughter, and that daughter died at the age of 18 from polio. A few years later, Helen's husband died at a very young age. Helen, however, lived to be in her 80s, and when asked why her husband died at such an early age, she said he could not, stop, he could not learn to stop asking why. She said he worried about their daughter's death until it killed him. Worry. It's destructive. It's damaging. So what's the answer? Lord, would you, you give us all these things here? Would you tell us all these things and, and tell us to look at these things and consider these things and tell us not to worry and not give us an answer? Well, the Lord wouldn't do that. He gives us an answer, a very clear answer. And it's found there in verse 33. And it's simply this. It's to establish proper priorities. We have to establish proper priorities in our life. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. German writer Johann Wolfgang von Goetz. Now, how would you like to sign that name? He grasped the the importance of priorities when he said this. He said, things that matter most must never be at the mercy of things that matter least. Priorities, putting things in the right perspective. Priority has as its root the word prior. And, and it's that which, is, uh, which comes from uh, before anything else or ahead of anything else. It takes precedence. So if it's prior, it becomes before all these other things. If it's prior, it has precedent. And that's what he's saying here. There must be a precedent. You fit, fit the proper priority. You put things in the right order. John McCarthy says it is, it is then what is supreme? Speaking of priority, it is, it is then what is supreme, what is essential, what is foundational, that is preeminent, what is antecedent to everything that follows. So when you talk about priority, you're really saying what in my life comes before anything else? What is before anything else and everything else? 
Folks, it's our priorities. You want to not have a problem with worry? It's having the proper priorities. It's putting things in their proper place. And priority one is this, is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's seeking first, seeking priority, seeking prior, seeking above everything else, seeking as the precedent, this is the most important thing. The preeminent thing is the kingdom of God. Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is priority one. It is our whole life. We ought to be spending so much time seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness fulfilled in my life. His righteousness fulfilled all around here. The kingdom of God, the work that's done in the kingdom of God. We should be so consumed with that. We don't have time to worry about what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to drink? When our priority is God Almighty First, the kingdom of God, first, his righteousness, first, everything else can fall in line in proper order. We get one thing out of place. Anything else that we put at number one throws everything else out of order in our life. The priority is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the second part of that verse is, and all these things will be added, shall be added to you. Now, it's interesting there. There was a very common saying among the Jews that says this. says, seek that to which other things are necessarily connected. All right, so I'll give you a quick example. So if, you, if you've got two health clubs in the neighborhood, and the one neighborhood, you know, the one club is the same price. You go in there, and you got some weights. That's it. The second club, for the same price, you, if, if you get a membership to that club, well, you also get use of the tennis courts, and you also get use of the swimming pool, and you also get use of the tanning beds, if you would do, want that. Uh, you got use of the, the, the water massagers, whatever it is. So this one's just that, but this one has other things connected to it. That's what that proverb, that's what that saying is, is seek that to which other things are necessarily connected. So there's a story about a king, and he had a close friend, and he told his close friend, he says, ask what thou wilt, and I will give it unto you. So he thought to himself, and he says, if I ask to be made a general, I shall readily obtain it. He said, I'll ask something to which all these things shall be added. He therefore said, give me thy daughter to wife. This he did, knowing that all the dignities of the kingdom should be added to that gift. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added to us. The things that we want to take control over, we want to put God off the throne and I want to worry about that. I want to take care of that. I want to do that. When I do that, I miss out on everything. Because I miss out on the close relationship with God. I miss out on the, the fulfillment of doing the things God's called me to do and he's working in my life to do. And I try to take ownership in that and then I'm going to worry about it. I'm going to stress about it. And everything in my life is affected. But if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else, everything else is added to that. He knows our needs and he provides those needs. So as the worship team you can begin to make your way forward.
I've asked them, uh, we're going to do that last song that we did in our worship. I know they had another song prepared. But that song, that third song that we did in the worship set goes perfect with the message this morning. And, and uh, Pastor Aaron and I didn't coordinate that, but the Holy Spirit of God did. And so we're going to do that song again. And I want you to think this morning on what we've talked about. But in concluding this and wrapping this up, I want to challenge you this week uh, with some questions. I want you to think on these questions. What am I worried about? What are you worried about? What is it, what is it that's, that's weighing on you emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually because you are worrying about it? What are you worried about? Why am I worried about this? It's, it's important to understand what you're worrying about, but it's probably more important to understand why you're worried about that. What am I seeking? Are you seeking the things of the world or the things of God? Because if we seek the things of the world, we're going to be consumed with worry. But if we seek the things of God, He takes care of all the rest. When was the last time that you truly sought God and His ways? The Lord is seeking you. He wants close, intimate, personal fellowship with you. He doesn't want you stressed in life, worrying about things. I mean, how many of you, if you've got children, wouldn't you find it strange if your five-year-old went, Mom, I just don't know. How are we going to eat today? I mean, I would be offended by that. Every day of your life for five years, for 10 years, for 17 years, Jesse, we've provided your needs. That's what a a good father does, a good mother does. And our, our heavenly father is infinitely better than any one of us as a mother or a father. Why would we worry? We need to seek him. So this morning, as we, as we come to this time of invitation and reflection, uh, I just want to challenge you with that. Is there something in your life this morning that's just been weighing on you? You've allowed it to consume you. You've, you, you've worried about this. I think this morning will be a great time to come and lay that on the altar. And I've shared before, this is an altar. These aren't steps. This isn't a stage. At this time in our service, this is an altar. And this is a place for you to come and talk to God. And maybe, maybe this morning you've got a burden on your back of something you've worried about. And instead of seeking God with every bit of your heart, your heart's consumed with worrying about an issue or situation or stuff. Maybe this morning's a good time just to come talk to God and say, Lord, I, I know I shouldn't worry, but I have. And cast that on Him and ask Him to help you with that. Maybe this morning there's somebody in your life that, that, that's struggling in that area. Maybe you want to come pray for them. But maybe this morning you're sitting here and you've never, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never truly become a child of God. And this morning... Uh, the greatest need you would have is not about, it's not about worry. It's about that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about forgiveness of your sin and knowing that if you were to die today that you'd spend eternity in heaven and not eternity in hell. This morning, if you don't know that you know that you know 
then I'd invite you to step out. Come down here and let me share with you from the Word of God. I'll just, I'll just walk you right through the gospel and introduce you this morning to the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever it is God's doing in your heart, as we go to this time of invitation, my, my prayer is simply that you would listen to what God is telling you, what He is doing in your life, what He's prompting you to do, and then you to respond to that.